If you have uh, your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, and then also, uh, I haven't mentioned this in a couple weeks, but uh, we do put our verses and uh, different uh, questions and uh, different readings on the Bible app. And so if you do have the Bible app, it's uh, the most, one of the most downloaded apps. Uh, it's just a popular Bible app. If you just search on your uh, app uh, network or whatever those is, you know, on the, the iTunes store, app store or whatever, um, you'll be able to find it. And then you can go to the homepage and then on the bottom right, it just uh, click on more and then it leads you to the next page and then you can click on events. And then based on where you are at, um, it says, hey, these events are taking place and uh, there is Restoration Church at the top. And uh, then you click on that and it goes to uh, that page, which is just, uh, we'll have our verses and a place for you to take notes. And just so you know, you can save those, but you have to click save at the top right. Otherwise, uh, that uh, plan or whatever, that reading plan goes away in a couple days. It doesn't stay out there unless you save it. So uh, I just put that out there because I want us to interact with the Word of God um, in a way that we normally interact. And whether it's uh, by a a paper copy, that's great, or on your phone, that's awesome as well. I just want you to have that in front of you uh, to to read through and to to pray through. And so today we're in Mark chapter 5. We're also going to be in Mark chapter 9. And just uh, I was just thinking about our prayer time. And one of the beauties of our prayer time is, first and foremost, we get to pray for one another. And that is, that is huge, uh, to go uh, to our Father and just pour out our requests um, before Him. But I also thought about a, a secondary thing is, you know what, we, we learn to pray by praying with others. Um, and I just thought, like, the example of others is so powerful. I often get uh, challenged and encouraged uh, by other people's examples, by how they're living their life. And, uh, you know, in our lives, we learn by example. We learn by, by hearing, by, by hearing a teaching, and, and that is, is powerful. Um, but we also learn by watching people and learning from their example. I remember uh, back in 2000 and one, it would have been. 2001, so a long time ago. So before even uh, some of you were born. Uh, but back in 2001, Cece and I purchased our, our first house, and it was on 14th Street in Holland. And uh, it was an older house, and it actually had this green carpet that had, or a brown carpet that had green stains uh, all over it because the p- previous owners thought it was easier or better just to let the dog uh, pee wherever he wanted to and then clean up it afterwards instead of training the dog. And so um, I remember that had green carpet, um, but it had a really good structure. The bones were, were really, really good. And uh, so we moved in. And Cece had this idea. Um, she's an idea person. Um, she had this idea early on. She said, why don't we totally redo the upstairs? We'll totally gut it and we'll redo it. Why don't you just go get a loan or whatever and we'll, we'll figure it out. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, I don't know how to build. My dad didn't teach me how to build. And uh, being the loving husband that I, I, I am, I said, okay. I went to the bank and uh, figured it out. And then all of a sudden, July 4th of 2001, um, there we were like gutting the upstairs of our house, chucking out like lath and plaster out of the upstairs window on July 4th weekend. And uh, it was, it was pretty, um, uh, it was refreshing. It was, it was like a therapeutic for me just to like chuck a bunch of junk out of the house. But there we had an empty shell of a house. And I'm like, okay, now what? And Cece looked at me and she says, now start building something. And I'm like, I don't know how to build. I don't know how to frame. Like, she's like, I want a bathroom here. I want a closet here. I want this over here. I'm like, okay, I have no idea how to do that. So I actually called my buddy Steve up who uh, built his own house and he came over and he showed me how to frame up one wall. He showed me by example. And then he threw the hammer at me and he left. And I'm like, what? 
But watching from his example, I kind of figured it out. And even a week later, I was still framing. And I remember we were going off to a wedding and, uh, and I put this wall up and I looked at it and I stepped back and I'm like, that thing is upside down. And I think I said something and Cece from the, the kitchen said, remember, you're a pastor. People can hear you. Uh, I'm like, I'm a carpenter now. Steve taught me how to say that by his example. Um, but I just thought about that. We learn by example. We learn by watching. And I, I think about, trans, transition to Jesus here, uh, I think about Jesus. And I actually think about, about his invitation. And his invitation is, for me, freeing, for me, like, um, eye-opening. When he came to the disciples, he said to them, follow me, follow me. Like, follow my example. Paul, even in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, says, follow me to the, the church in Corinth. Follow me as I follow the example of Christ. And frankly, I look around this room, and I think many people in this room, you're actually, you're actually doing this. You, where you could say, like, follow me as I follow Christ. We learn from one another's examples. I can look out and just think about stories of of ways that that you're following Jesus in your life. And I'm like, yeah, I want to follow that example. I want to follow that example. But but, but back to Jesus. He said, follow me. And last week we looked at the first part of this story in in Mark chapter 5. And I think there's so much that we can learn when it comes to deliverance. When it comes to coming across uh, the demonic, we can learn so much from Jesus. That Jesus commanded the evil spirits to go. He didn't pray them out. He commanded them. He spoke to them and he said, be gone. He didn't say in Jesus' name because he was Jesus, but he said, be gone. And we say in Jesus' name, like, be gone. It's not a prayer of like, God, would you do this? No, we have been given authority to command them to go. And so Jesus commanded, but he also in Mark 5, we saw last week, he sent them away. There was that group of pigs, remember, hanging out, 2,000 pigs, and, and he sent the evil spirits into the pigs, and they went over the, the edge and, and drowned in the water. But then the last thing that we saw last week is, is Jesus, by his teaching, and I think this is a great example for us to follow, is he said, make sure that the house, when it's empty, is filled. Make sure that you're being filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the love of Jesus, filled, totally consumed with the Holy Spirit, every aspect of God. I think there's so much that we can learn from Jesus' example, following the way of Jesus. It's not rocket science. It's just command, send, and then fill. And so we saw that last week. And here was this man who was totally consumed with evil spirits. It says his name was Legion, which meant there were many, 6,000, just totally consuming. All of, of hell, frankly, was unleashed on this man. And the whole town could not contain him. They're actually pretty freaked out by him. And Jesus comes in and with a word, this man is set free. And look at what happens in, in Mark 5. And we read this last week, but I just want to draw your attention to this. Mark 5, starting at verse 14, I believe. It says this, the herdsmen fled. Those who own those pigs were like, whoa, there goes my, my livelihood. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city, all that had happened and in the country and people came to see what it, what it was that had happened, which I think that's like such an understatement. If you saw 2,000 pigs like fall off the edge of uh, Lake Michigan and drown, like they'd be like, whoa, we got to check this out. Like what is happening? But that was nothing compared to what they saw. It says this in verse 15. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there 
clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. They started afraid. In the beginning of the story, they were afraid. They were all terrified because this man was ravaging the the town. No one could control him. And now they're still afraid. They're still afraid. But here, look at the transformation that happened in that man's life. This is a picture of the kingdom of God coming to earth. The kingdom of, of God busting into a situation. Here before, there was total chaos. There was nonstop cutting in this man's life. This man was living a very chaotic life. And after, it says right here, he's sitting there. Calm, controlled. Before, he's, he's naked. We see in Luke 8, Luke's version of this. Now he's fully clothed. Before, he's crying out and confused and um, just like in so much turmoil. Now he's in his right mind and he's clear. Before, he was an enemy of Jesus. And now he's sitting there and there's this picture that he's just sitting there with Jesus. But there is this, this transformation that happened in this man's life. But there's also a transformation that occurred, frankly, in the community. There was a fear of this demon-possessed man, but they're still afraid. And and who are they afraid of? Let's keep reading. It says, And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. That always hits me. Here was Jesus who brought so much freedom into this man's life. And they're like, you need to get away. You need to like go. We We don't want you here. And it says, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Look at what happened with the crowd. They were afraid of the man. And now they're afraid of Jesus to the point where they're like, you need to leave. Where they, they send him away. But then Jesus says to this man, who is now hanging on Jesus' leg. I just picture like as Jesus is leaving the area. All right, people don't want me here. I'm leaving. This man is like hanging on. Jesus, I want to go with you wherever you're going to go. I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. I'll wash your feet. I'll do whatever. Like, let me go with you. And Jesus looks at him and says, some frankly, some pretty like basic words, like pretty boring words, if I'm honest. Go home. Nope, you can't go with me. Go home. Go home and tell your family what the Lord has done and the mercy that he has shown you. Like that to me, like at first I'm like, no, we, we, we are drawn towards like those big transformations that, that end up with people going to the ends of the earth. Like, we, we love those stories where somebody makes it to Hollywood and they're from a little town, Iowa, somewhere, and they're like, they made it big time. They went from nothing to, like, something big time. I'm sorry, Tom, I just saw you talking to Marta. I'm like, you're from Iowa. So there, Tom made it big time. He went from Iowa to Holland, Michigan. But we like those, those big stories. Nobody goes to their, their high school reunion after 30 years and just says, yeah, I, did, I haven't really done much. I just live down the road. I haven't made it outside of a 15-mile radius. Like, that doesn't really inspire us if we hear that. Nobody's writing a bestseller how to, you know, on how to live within a 15-mile radius from your high school all the days of your life. But here Jesus tells this man to go home. Go home and tell your family what the Lord has done. And what happens? It says at the end of verse 20, it says, 
he went and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And there was a transformation. Everyone marveled. Everyone was amazed because they could see a transformed life. And this transformed life was proclaiming about Jesus, talking about Jesus. To the point where, turn over a couple pages. This is not up on the screen. I didn't put this one in there. But turn over a couple pages. Mark chapter 7, verse 31. Look at this. Mark 7, verse 31. It says, Then he returned, talking about Jesus, from the region of Tyre, and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. So this same region, this is the next time Jesus is back in the same region. And look at what happens in the attitude of the people in that area. Verse 32, And they brought to him a man who was deaf, and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him and talking or taking him aside from the crowd. Privately, he put his finger, Jesus put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. Like that's kind of, Jesus, that's kind of gross. Like you're touching his tongue, you're spitting. But, but he did, did that. And looking up to heaven, he, said, he sighed and said to him, that word, that is be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, which confuses me all the time. Jesus sometimes tells people to go and tell. Sometimes he says, don't tell anybody. I don't understand it, but I'll just trust Jesus with it. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This was in the same region that previously a couple chapters prior, they were wanting him to get away. Jesus comes back and now they're saying he does everything well. They bring to him somebody who is in a troubling situation. And I have to think that the reason that they had their hearts transformed, that their attitude was transformed, was because this man in Mark chapter 5, who was freed from demonic oppression, went home and he actually told people what Jesus had done. He went home and he told his family and friends and they saw that his life was transformed. I don't want us to ever underestimate the power of our story, the power that the story that we have of Jesus transforming our lives. We often think like, oh, I'm not that great. And we, we think like, oh, I, my life isn't much. And I feel like we can get discouraged because we read about and we see people going to the four ends of the earth. And they're like, well, I'm not like that. I'm just stuck here in West Michigan. Oh, woe is me. I'm not going to Africa. I'm not going to China. I'm not going to Pakistan. I'm not going wherever. Um, I'm just stuck here. But God's charge to us today is the same that he gives to those who go to those locations. Go home. Be present in your community and talk about what the Lord has done. See, all of us, just imagine if all of us go out this week into this community and just talk about what the Lord has done to show a life that has been transformed by the love of Jesus. And when people come and they say, what's going on? And we talk about it. We just share our story. Just imagine what could happen. Never underestimate the power of your story, the power that, that it has to bring hope and healing to people. And it's a story of Jesus transforming your life. Just tell your story. You are, this is the first great commission in my opinion. Jesus telling this man, go, go. Jesus never stepped foot in that area. And this whole area was transformed because he sent one person to tell his story. One person's transformation can change a whole community. Just this week, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a pastor in Kenya. 
And him and I had just actually been talking uh, through WhatsApp and, and back and forth for a number of years, even before COVID. And um, it's just interesting uh, life in Kenya. And we're sitting at La Creme uh, just uh, here in Zealand. And here's this man from Kenya. Um, and he's like, crepe? What's a crepe? Like, I don't know what this is. And uh, I was trying to explain it to him. And he's like, oh, your food is so heavy and so like rich. And uh, that was you know, just shortly before he just devoured the whole thing. I'm like, oh, you obviously like it. Um, but he was telling me a story about somebody in his community, a story that just transformed actually the community that he was in. And he talked about being invited over to this man's house. And this man is older man, and he was um, known in the community as the town uh, cranky, the town crank. He just was like always angry, always frustrated, just angry at people, just really bitter and just, just didn't like people. And so he got a call and he said from this man, he's like, can you come over? And he's like, I don't want to go over there. But he went over there. And this man opened up to him and he said, do you think God loves me? Is there any chance that God will love me? And I'm like, and he said, like, what do you mean? He went on to share something that had happened 30 years prior. Situation where he was going and actually going to take somebody's cattle. And a situation happened in the resulting in him killing a couple people. And my buddy, my friend, looked at him and said, oh, breaks my heart. I don't want to condone what you did. I mean, that what you did was wrong. It's a sin. But God's love is so much greater. Let me tell you about Jesus. That sin has been paid for. God definitely does love you. He loved you so much so that he sent his son Jesus to die for you. And this man's eyes were open to the greatness and glory of Jesus. And over time, his life has been transformed. And he's not known as the town uh, crank anymore. He's actually filled with joy. And, and there's so much happiness that just comes out from every pore of his, his being. And now he's going around and telling people what the Lord has done for him. And people are absolutely amazed. I mean, never underestimate the power of a transformed life and the power of your story. We just have to be bold and to be filled with the Spirit to proclaim that story, to walk in the power of the Spirit to proclaim that. And that leads me to the last thing that I want to share this morning. Flip over to Mark chapter 9 because we can never forget, never forget the power by which we do things. I'm going to breeze through this story because I want to get to the last verse of this story. But Mark chapter 9, and we'll look at this uh, more uh, in the upcoming months. But um, Mark chapter 9, Jesus has just gone up to uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration and was fully, it was, um, he was revealed for who he, who he is. The glory and the greatness uh, of Jesus was revealed to Peter, James, and John. And they're coming down from the mountain, and there's quite the commotion. It says in verse 14, Mark 9 verse 14, it says, when they came down, to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son. So here's the father who's, who's speaking. I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams, and he grinds his teeth, and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. You just let that, that phrase just sink in. Here was a, a father who, who frankly did everything right. Like he was broken over the condition of his, his son. He heard about what was happening, and he brings his son to Jesus' disciples Surely they could do something. They have done something in the past. They had, they, had, they had delivered people before. 
And he came to them and he said, they were not able. They were powerless. This week as I was reading that, I thought like, God, is that a picture of the church today? As I think about, think about um, this scene where people were arguing with one another. Are we too busy like debating and arguing with one another when all of a sudden, all, when there's a person who is in so much pain just right there? Are we busy, too busy arguing and debating instead of being desperate for Jesus to move in a person's life? Here the father was like, they were not able to do this. And he answered them. Jesus answered, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And again, before I go on any further, like, let, this, let this break your heart for those who are living in turmoil. Like the enemy, you just let this rise up in you, just a hatred of the enemy. Because here's a picture of a boy from very childhood was being thrown into the fire. Like the enemy just wanted to destroy this little boy. And it just breaks my heart. It frustrates me. Jesus said to him, if you can't, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command. See, Jesus didn't pray to He command. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up and arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? What's the deal, Jesus? And he said to them, this kind can be driven out by anything, cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And some translations say by prayer and fasting. This kind. And Jesus isn't talking about like a specific evil spirit. He's like, if you're engaged in spiritual battle, which we have to rem remember that is all of life. We're engaged in a spiritual battle. If you're engaged in a sp spiritual battle, you can't do anything in your own strength. This kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. And let's just remember, what is prayer? Prayer, if I look at Luke 11, is this constant communication with God. It's a persistent communication with God. It's, it's Luke 11 where Jesus says, just keep asking, keep begging. It's this deep reliance on God. It's not just a quick, like, throw up a prayer. It's, it's walking in relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's the very point of Christianity that we have a relationship with God and we can come before him, not just once in a while, not before a meal, not just to bless an agenda that we have, but we can come before him regularly and pour out our hearts before him to seek him with all that we have, to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit that he has filled us with. I think about Jesus and how he walked in so much constant prayer with the Father. He would often go off early on and pray and spend time with the Father. And in John 5, we see this picture that he says, I only do what I see the Father doing. Myself and the Father were so one. I'm just doing what he tells me to do. And that, to, to me, is the picture of the Christian life. 
That's the picture of the Christian life. To walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. To walk in the freeness of knowing Jesus. Knowing God. Having a relationship with him where we can just come before him. And too often I think we move on from that. And we say, well, we got to get busy doing all of this stuff. When Jesus is reminding us, it's not about busy doing a bunch of stuff. But it's all about staying in constant communication with him. And being obedient to him. I had this picture this, this earlier this week of these two bikes up here. You're probably wondering, what is he going to do with these bikes? So Zane got a new bike. Here's his new bike. Pretty sweet bike. I remember having one of these um, as a kid with these, um, these little pegs on the front and you can kind of bounce up and down. You know, as I think about the Christian life, I think about um, this bike and, and often many are caught into this type of life following Jesus. And so if I look at this bike, like if I look at the Christian life, we are, we're really called to do just a handful of things. And I had this little diagram up, up on the screen. And first of all, we're supposed to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus, to walk in relationship with Jesus, to know Jesus, to, to grow in our understanding of him. We're called to be a disciple, but we're also called to go tell others about Jesus. Jesus said, go and make disciples. We're called to be on mission, which is the, the next circle. We're called to be on mission, to go to our neighbors, to go to our friends. If you want to hit the next slide, to go to, uh, to go to people and tell them about Jesus. But the beauty is that we don't have to do this on our own strength, our own ability, but we get to do this in the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the next slide. I mean, that's the picture of, the, of what we're called to as followers of Jesus. But too often, I believe we get into our own minds and we think we have to do all of this ourselves and so the next slide, we too often work on discipleship and mission in our own strength. And we just think if we just pedal harder, if we just try harder, if we do some tricks, if we kind of bounce up and down on the bike and, and do some different things. And I was at a parade last week and a guy was riding one of these bikes and he's flipping these handlebars all around. If we just think we can maybe try harder and work harder, then something will happen. And frankly, like this type of lifestyle is just a lifestyle of striving of trying harder, of working harder. And this is not the life that Jesus has for us. My neighbor has one of these sweet little things that I actually rode here this morning. It's been beat up. It's, got, it's being held together by, uh, what's this called again? Zip tie, that's what it is. It's, it's supposed to have a fender over here, but it's been beat up. But the cool thing is, if I turn this thing on, it powers up, and I don't have to do anything. I can just stand on this thing and turn this little lever on, and whoop, I'm off. I could have jumped off that. That would have been pretty cool. But to me, this, this is the picture of how we need to be living as followers of Jesus. Because we are called to be a disciple, to go on mission, but we get the joy of walking step by step with the Holy Spirit. And when those three intersect, that is a picture of the kingdom of God. That's kingdom culture. That is a, a picture of the kingdom coming to earth. That we don't have to strive. We don't have to try. We don't have to try to impress people with our knowledge. With like, oh, do this or do that. We get to simply walk in the joy of following the Holy Spirit. To being filled with the Holy Spirit. Walking in dependence. Constant communication. Constant relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I wonder how often do we try to impress people? How often are we striving in our lives instead of just resting 
in the power of the Holy Spirit and being compelled and propelled by the power of the Holy Spirit. I look at prayer. I look at this story in Mark 9, and I wrestle with it, frankly, because Jesus says this kind can only come out by prayer. And I think, well, Jesus, that's pretty easy. And when I was younger, I thought, well, just pray and something will happen. Just pray and something will happen. Until we went to an ultrasound appointment with our first child. And they said, this child has many defects and many situations that are not compatible with life. And we gathered people together and we prayed. And she was born on September 15th, 2001, took a breath and then went to Jesus. And I'm like, I thought this kind can only come out by prayer. I thought, Jesus, you would just heal her. And I look in this room and we have a complicated relationship with prayer. Because I have prayed with many of you, I've prayed and, and filled with faith, expecting God to move in powerful ways to heal, to deliver, to restore. And the answer is different than we want. And so there's this complicated uh, relationship with prayer, even in this passage. But I know if somebody who is sick, if somebody is going through it today, walked into this room, this is what I love about this community, the first thing that you would do is you'd extend a hand and pray believing that God would move in power. And that's where we need to stay as individuals. That's where we need to stay as a community because we are offered, being offered this just beautiful relationship to walk in constant communication with God through the power of the Holy Spirit, to seek his presence, to seek his face, to be like David who said, one thing I ask, this is what I would seek after, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Like the psalmist who said, better is one day, one day, in the presence of the Lord than a thousand elsewhere. And I often wonder, have we moved to a culture of striving in our lives, thinking that we have to do it all, and have we moved away from a culture of freedom and fellowship with the Holy Spirit? And this is what I believe Jesus is calling us back to, to be compelled by his love and propelled by the Holy Spirit that he has poured out lavishly into our lives. And so as we go to a time of worship now, I want us just to have some space where we are hungering and thirsting for the presence of God, for the presence of Jesus. That is what I long to be a part of, just a community that hungers and thirsts for the presence of God, not just in this space, but seven days a week. But as we're here in this space to hunger and thirst for the presence of God, and as we are worshiping, We're not just singing songs. We're worshiping the King of Kings and and, and giving him the glory that he alone deserves. But I also want to challenge us in this space. If you feel led to to pray with somebody again, if you're like, oh, I know something is going on in their lives and they didn't share it, I'm just going to go over and, and pray with them. This is a culture of freedom. And just like go and pray with them. If you have a word too, if you feel like, oh, I think the Lord wants to speak something into our community, come up and talk to me. And we'll, we'll share it as we are in the midst of worshiping. We need to be a people that are just hungering and thirsting for the presence of the Lord because we know only him can bring freedom and life and joy to us and to this community. And so let's stand together.